Hey guys, welcome back to Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with me, Cece King, and my co-host, Ryan Jillian. Ryan and I are good friends who are both writers, actors, and activists. Ryan is also a teacher, and I produce films, and right now we are hosts of this podcast. Every week we bring on unique and influential guests hoping to elevate voices through conversations and drinks. Pull up a seat to our table and join us. Move over, Kathy Lee and Hoda. Ryan and Cece are here. For centuries, sailors have been the navigators of the untamable sea, oftentimes seeing the calm sea transform into a disastrous storm. Sounds a lot like life, hmm? Sailors Brew Coffee is an African-American family-owned and operated coffee company born and raised in Pasadena, California. Founded by former U.S. Army veteran Trayvon Sailor, Sailor's Brew Coffee is at the intersection of inspiration and motivation. With each sip, you'll be transported to the tranquil tops of the Jamaican Blue Mountains or the lush forests of Ethiopia. So let Sailor's Brew Coffee be your daily navigator, sailing you through both the calm and rough seas of life. Visit www.sailorsbrewcoffee.com and use the code TWISTED2020 for 15% off. And remember, brew strong. Sip slow and join us for this fantastic voyage. Brian, are you there? Wait, Cece, are you there? Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with Cece and Ryan. Actor Ryan Vasquez is an actor living the dream. You can see him everywhere from Broadway to the small screen. He is one of the players in Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit Broadway show, Hamilton, where he is the only actor to have played Hamilton, Burr, Washington, Madison, and Jefferson. He is a 2020 Drama Desk Award nominee for his role in The Wrong Man, and currently Ryan is dedicating a lot of his time to his organization, Swing From Home, which connects remote volunteers to state legislative legislative races in anticipation for the election. He's not only taking character study to another level, he also has my name, which, I mean, we're very special people. Cece and I are super excited to have him on. Ryan Vasquez, welcome to the show. There's going to be two Ryans in the room. I know. I'm, I actually... We've got two Ryans in the room. Hi. Hi, Ryan. I have two Ryans. It's nice to meet y'all. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to talk to us today. We're really, really grateful. So just thank yeah, thank you. y'all. All hands on deck, right? Anything yes. So. That is the truth. That emerald green wall is gorgeous. Thank you. I was uh, I was supposed to be spending you know my whole year in Chicago working as an actor, which is my normal job, and I got this place like right before the shutdown, and so I've really settled in. so thank you the whole apartment is painted (laughs) oh it's so good it like makes me think of the wizard of oz yeah it's a nice like and there's this nice little like uh 
guy going on here with like the Ooh. wood and everything in the back. So it's very very clean motif you have going on there, Ryan. Thank yeah. you very much. I appreciate it's you. Very nice. Oh my gosh, it looks great. Yeah, I feel I'm a little jealous because my wall is I have to decorate it with signs instead of having this great color backsplash, but whatever. Yeah, we'll take the Listen, because your face is great, Cece. So that's all <laughs> we need. Oh, great. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on. I have to gush for a minute because I watched Hamilton twice when it came on Disney Plus in the first weekend. And I kind of lost my mind a little bit because one, the music is insane. It was your first time, I'm assuming. And I, I never, I didn't even get to see the Broadway show, which I was so bummed about because Mariska Hargitay was like posting every freaking weekend, like back with my favorite cast. And I'm like, the fuck, can I just get a ticket? Just like one ticket. Just let me in there, yeah. Can't even all even be in. <laughs> yeah. But I had to wait to see it for the quarantine, which I think, I think it was a gift. You know what I mean? It was a little bit of a gift to have this great Broadway show that so many people wanted to see, but they finally got a chance to see it with their families during the pandemic. So one, I just had to just gush about that part. But you've played five of the characters in Hamilton, okay? Five. Played Alexander Hamilton, which is, you know, the, the lead. He's the yeah. man that we're rooting for the entire time. You played Burr, who like murdered Hamilton by the end. Sorry, spoiler alert, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let him know. Played him. You also played George Washington, who is his mentor. You played, um, you did Jefferson, right? You did Jefferson and Madison, who are also his mentors. So like, character exploration, like what did you, like Alexander is like your latest that you've played, right, of all of them? Sure. So my, my job there is is unique, right? I, I'm what's called a standby. So I show up to the theater every day and I know all of these roles. And oh, if somebody's out sick or somebody's on vacation or whatever, and I have a little bit of notice, then I know that I'm going on for one of those roles if I'm in the show. But recently I did do a stint as Hamilton, yes, like sort of full time for a couple of months, uh, right before the shutdown, actually. Like it, it really, I think it was like a week or two before we shut down was, was one of my last performances there. So I, I guess being a standby, knowing about all of these characters, knowing their backstory, knowing what happens in the story and knowing their relationship with, relationships with one another, did it help in any way with your performances like, did it change your perspective of like Alexander looking at Burr? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure, right? I, I like to say like, truly one of the only people who knows the show in like 360 degrees, right? Like, because yeah. you really do see it like from all angles. Um, but also like the sort of like a deeper, like nerdier explanation, right, is like, at, when you're in Hamilton, you're as much of an actor as you are a historian, right? The people who are sitting in the audience are likely going to have their first uh, real experience with learning American history in that audience. Right. Um, uh, and that's gonna, it's gonna stick uh, for a lot longer than a sort of whitewashed, literally textbook would be, right? And so um, I always sort of take like the responsibility of like, you know, this person, like, and this person's legacy more than like playing a character. It's like this person's legacy and, and your impression on the kids in the audience, like, this will be their impression of 
Aaron Burr. Like this will be yeah. their impression of Thomas Jefferson, you know, somebody who up until very recently we were basically looking at as a deity, right? And then, you know, you Google Sally Hemings and you're like, wait, what was going on? And you're like yeah. hours deep and you're realizing that these people are just human in a time where just human meant you were pretty terrible. And so it's it's right. a it's a really um it's like a fascinating sort of responsibility. I mean, yes, I know like the choreography from like the different angles, but to me it's like a much uh, you know, the roots of that are are uh, you know, it's it's a, it's cool. You're in the coolest Dude, one answer and the coolest dude you love to see it oh, <laughs> you love gosh. to see it is that is that common in broadway that you typically would play multiple characters in a show um yeah so like uh you know hamilton is unique in that there are so many principals who shoulder so much responsibility um but like for instance in wicked like the there's a woman who's the Elphaba standby and a woman who's the Glinda standby and they just do those right like mm -hmm. like this person is in the building to go on for the woman playing Glinda when she's not in right um as opposed to you know in other shows if you can double it up and then Hamilton is sort of infamous in that there are so many roles that now there's like these cool combos of people who have done these different combinations of people there's only a handful who have done burr and hamilton that's like the that's like one that's like you know because that's, that's like 90 percent of the show right there you know it's like you never really leave the stage um so that's cool and and i've i've actually done there's a guy donald weber who did Burr and Hamilton on Broadway as well. And when I, I toured with Hamilton first, but when I got to the Broadway company, he had a few weeks left until he was going out on the road to play Burr full time. And we, I think, are the only people who have played Hamilton and Burr and Hamilton and Burr like that. And, and we and we did it in New York, like for, I think, you know, it was like one performance each, but um, like right when I got there in like 2018. So that that's like a cool kind of thing too. What is your favorite song to perform from the show? Washington on your side. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a random one. I, I honestly, my favorite favorite is a song called We Know that nobody would know what it is, but but it's this song. It's like a couple minutes of this song where uh, it's when they come in and they, they have the check stubs and they, they blackmail him into writing the yeah. Reynolds pamphlet. It's like a little scene, but I think the rapping in that is like some of the best, like most like sort of chef's kiss uh, of the show. Um, but Washington on your side is just like badass. Like yeah, when you're yeah. in that song, like the beat and everything, ta, 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 you know, like you're just kind of like, yeah, time, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a vibe. So for sure. I, I love that. A vibe. You've done, you were doing Hamilton and then you get shut down. <laughs> like Broadway is like shut down. That never happens. Like so many people, like I'm kind of still like having a hard time fathoming that I can't see a show until May. So like, yeah. what are you, what are you, what are your feelings? How are you feeling? How are you doing? And like, what unique spaces do you see your friends like shifting into now that they're not acting on stage anymore? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a huge NBA fan, like the biggest. And so I, uh, I was in the building. I, I did a Wednesday matinee as George Washington. And then the Wednesday evening, we all went in and I wasn't on. And I was looking at my phone and I was like, they just canceled the jazz game. Like, that's crazy. And then like the season went up and I was like, y'all, like, this is real. And people were like, you really think we're going to shut down? I'm like, the NBA has a lot more money to lose than, than, than any Broadway show. Right. And, and so, uh, coupled with the fact that I'm kind of just like a, uh, 
politics like sort of wonky person so i sort of was i was like in the weeds of like the npr stories about this thing that was you know like happening in wuhan and whatever and so i i did feel like i was like a tiniest bit sort of like is this for real um so when it happened i was just like okay so you know this is this was something that i kind of saw coming we'll probably do this as a precautionary thing and of course like it was not and and so uh and now to think of it as precautionary in this country is just like a laugh so i mean like what was precautionary about our response to the coronavirus <laughs> except for banning travel from china so it's sort of like you know i yeah it's like the big sweeping piece of you know whatever so yeah uh i you know it's it's obviously an adjustment um to not be working uh, it's it's an adjustment to not have anything to be working on. Normally, as an artist, you're even if you're not working, you're kind of constant hus hustling. It, it it doesn't it doesn't change if you're working or not. You're always auditioning. You're always reading stuff. You're always doing stuff with friends. You know, hey, I wrote this or I did this. You know, and, and there's there's stuff moving behind the scenes more than someone who's just doing eight shows a week. So. Um, yeah, I mean, to have that all just zapped pretty much, you know, and, and all of it be virtual is obviously very bizarre. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, it's coupled with a, what's going on in our country, which is, you know, the, the, the response to, to the coronavirus and, and what we have been going through is, uh, in many ways, people are like the unprecedented times. I, I feel like in many ways it is inevitable. Uh, in many ways, it was inevitable that we would have this bubbling over of racial and economic inequality and a sort of spotlight on these issues. It would bubble over our electoral process being um, unfair, truly, uh, and, and, and misrepresenting, underrepresenting, or not representing at all many groups, people of color, women of color, indigenous people transgender people i mean like we, we we are we are not a representative democracy we are ranked last in our integrity of our democracy of all western countries that claim to be democratic nations right um and my dog agrees and so uh, the the um and so i think this sort of this reckoning that we're going through was in many ways inevitable and so the people who are left with idle hands are now uh, applying themselves to make the world a better place. I think as an artist, you constant you, you you sort of feel like inherently in your work you are working toward that. Inherently, you are part of change because you're in a show like Hamilton, and people are coming and they're watching this thing and they're rethinking American history, and you're like, ah, I've done my piece for the day, and then you go and you do it twice the next day, and you're like, double the change, you know, it's like, but, but, but it's, it's not, I mean, you're, you're a, you're one piece of something that's, um, that's doing work, but, but you're just one tiny cog in that machine, right, yeah. and so I think that now it's about agency, it's, it's about, okay, then what will you do when that platform is taken from you, and so I've, I'm seeing friends who are starting initiatives like uh, the one that I've started, uh, you know, working with a lot of people working with uh, the demographic that really looks to Broadway folks to lead, like young voters, you know, Gen Z folks who typically don't, uh, you know, turn out to vote and and imbuing their art into this social change, right? Rallies and things that, that people are singing at and creating at and, and sharing their perspective and their voice, both in the literal way, right, of, of singing, but, it, but it's like sharing your perspective of somebody who, who you've always looked to as this invincible person on stage that's like apart from humanity, apart from you, and and you are you are just a person. You're a person who needs relief. You're a person who needs so so. I think it's been um, you know a lot of my friends have given me a lot of hope 
um, that, you know, that, that, that without something that's sort of spoon fed to you, that we actually are the people who will go out and make those opportunities for change ourselves. I'm so curious because we talk a lot about Broadway being shut down, but what about when, you know, it comes back? So say in June, um, like I was reading 65% of ticket sales are tourists and tra people traveling. So have you and your other, you know, your friends that work in Broadway, have you heard of talk of sort of like how do you move forward after the fact in terms of trying to get, as my acting coach used to say, asses in the seats, but like, mm -hmm. how do you, how do they navigate through that in terms of like, I, I've thought, I'm like, well, maybe they're going to try to gear, maybe produce more shows that are more something that's like a Hamilton, something that might appeal to a, a local New Yorker that people are going to come, more locals are going to come out and see, or are they going to, is, is Broadway maybe, does that, do you fear or think that it could change in a way that you're having a lot more TV and film actors that need to come in and support these shows and play the leads and help get more people into bring Broadway up from this sort of decline that it's totally. had to go through. Are these things that you've thought about or talked about? Absolutely. I think it's all on the table, right? And I think, uh, you know, one thing I always think is that we've been telling stories since the beginning of humanity, right? It used to be like around a fire and now there are a lot of lights and money. Uh, and so really, really, um, the, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've been telling stories since the beginning of humanity and, and now they're in theaters and that will never change. And it's not because people want to escape reality. Many people describe it as that people are like, Oh, I just want to go sit in a seat and, and just plug like unplug, you know, where I want to go. But that's not why people go to the theater, right? Oh my that's, God. Yeah. Believe it. Um, that's not why people go to the theater. People go to the theater to contextualize what it is that they're going through. People go to the theater to hold a mirror up to society. People don't escape with Hamilton, you know, and, and, and people say all the time, oh, I just want to, you know, go to the, it's like, you don't go to Hamilton and not think about the world. You go to Hamilton and think about every aspect of the world. You go to Hamilton and think about every aspect of our country. A, a, a line like immigrants, we get the job done. The show opens under Obama, right? It's a celebration of progress. It's a celebration of where we've landed temporarily, you know, for this time. It's this sort of mark of where we are. And then in 2016, the show is still running and that line is met with this same sort of applause, but it's coming from this vitriol. It's coming from a rebuke of, of where, you know, so so it's it's not that the, you know, the, the piece itself can be the same, but how it's applied, how it frames what, what we're going through is I think why people enjoy art. And so, you know, when we think about, oh, well, you know, because the big fear, right, is like, when we come back, will all the shows be this, like, cotton candy, like, movie adaptations? Right. You know, will, will they will will they want to say anything anymore? And I think that's, like, the blood. That is, like, the soul of this. The things that Things that are sort of on the periphery that are for kids and just sort of, you know, like, Disney entertainment, and I'm, I'm not saying that the Disney shows on Broadway are that, but you know, I'm thinking of like theme park shows. It's like things that are that are are always around. But what makes like Broadway, what makes people like love to see Broadway shows and not just like sit and watch a movie at home is like this feeling of coming together as a community and experiencing something that's together and, and sort of thinking and then the drive home, talking about it with your family, talking about it with your neighbor who said, I was actually at that same performance. You said, Oh, wow. You know, the first thing you say isn't, 
oh, did you, do you remember when that guy like messed up on that thing? You're like, wow, you were there at the same time. So was our experience the same? Was our experience, you know, and, and it's that conversation that I think gives me hope that we are in for, you know, in many ways people are saying, oh, there's going to be this renaissance of art that comes out of this because everybody's going to have like been sitting in their apartment and like writing King Lear. And that's probably <laughs> true. There will probably be people who like wrote things, you know, but for me, it's, it's the energy and the willingness from the people who are on stage and the audiences that will be at this all time high, this sort of peak reception and we will all want to eat it up again because we're going to need something to help us to understand what right. the actual fuck just went down not only not right. only in in the aftermath of george floyd beyond brown taylor tony mcdade but the coronavirus the election the presidency of donald trump the illegitimate leadership of our president i mean like we we are we are really needing some sense and so how, you know, and it's clear that the news does not give us that. Pe people, you know, we, I have conversations with people who are like, why are we making such a big deal out of coronavirus anyway? You know, it's like the, the, the news is not, an article does not change you. It, it, is, it is a piece. It is something that you go and, and experience and you don't even know what you're experiencing until you're on the way home and you're like, whoa, I just realized the layers of something like, like the like somebody named Marquis de Lafayette who came from France and this man who Alexander Hamilton who came to America and they're saying immigrants we get the job done and high-fiving and I saw it and they were people of color who were playing these roles and now I'm understanding I mean like it's deep the Battle of Yorktown 1781 Monsieur Hamilton Monsieur Lafayette in command where you belong are you saying no sweat we're finally on the field we've had quite a run Immigrants, we, we get, get the, the job, job done. done. And so like the understanding of that is, I think, will not, um, it's just like, it's a punchline. It's just like consistently, you know, um, you know, but, but, but that I do think um, we are missing and we aren't missing it because we want to like go to sleep in a theater for three hours, even though there will always be people who are asleep in the theater, even in Hamilton. Yeah. Well, this is actually a really good segue to our voting booth. Voting booth. Work. Thank you for Welcome. having me. Do I need Welcome. to show an ID? <laughs> uh, what state do you live in? <laughs> New York, so I do not. <laughs> and so, Ryan, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, who you are? Sure. Uh, so... I'm an actor. Uh, I was in the Broadway company of Hamilton prior to the shutdown. Um, but seeing as our industry has all but vanished due to the pandemic, right, I've started this organization called Swing From Home. And the idea there is that we're connecting remote volunteers from all over the country and some grassroots fundraising through events with uh, Broadway folks who are coming and sharing their, their voices and their perspectives uh, to state legislative campaigns all across the country. Um, these are races that, you know, of course they determine state policy. And so when we're looking at, you know, transphobic laws like the bathroom bill in North Carolina, or we're looking at voter suppression in a state like Georgia or all over the South and all over the country, um, those things are passed at a state level. And so we need to make sure that there's, uh, you know, a, a, a fair representative body 
uh, in all of these states to make sure that um, everybody's voice is heard. And of course, um, in 2021, we'll face a, uh, a process called redistricting, where the legislative maps in every state will be redrawn. And um, in many states, most, the, the vast majority, the state legislatures actually control the drawing of those maps. And so in 2010, when Republicans won these in, in a landslide, right, all over the country, you have a state like Wisconsin, where eight years later in 2018, after they drew these maps, Democrats win 60% of the vote, but only take 40% of the seats. And so that's not a representative democracy. It never has been. And, and we need to make sure that they're not breaking these districts up and dispersing these voters and that politicians are not choosing their voters and where they vote and for whom they vote. And it is exactly it is exactly the opposite. The voters are electing their leaders in a fair and representative way. Could you define exactly what a state legislature does? Sure. So um, just as on the federal level, we have a House and Senate that write bills to be passed into law by the president. Um, every state has this structure as well. So there's a state House and a state Senate that are writing bills to be passed by a governor. So when we look at any state policy, and, and you know, you might be thinking, why do I care about Georgia state policy? I've never been there. Uh, you know, I, I have no interest. Um, it applies to a federal level because when you're looking at voter suppression, for instance, these laws, ID laws that are limiting, you know, mostly people of color from voting, closing down of polling places, these things are, are, are voted on by state legislative bodies, by the state house and the state senate. So we look at the South and we're like, Alabama, Georgia, these places, those are red states. And this year, for the first time, we're thinking maybe Georgia could vote for a Democrat for, for, for the Senate, you know, for instance. Mm -hmm. If Georgia was actually representative, if, if there were Democratic people in the legislature there who were passing voting rights legislation that expanded the right to vote, that made it easier to vote, especially for people of color there, we would be looking at the whole South would be swing states mm -hmm. because black Americans would finally have a legitimate chance at getting their voice heard in these places where it has been just significantly and systemically disenfranchising for them from, from the time when only 6% of Americans could vote and that was because they were men who were white who owned land. And that is a fact. That's not like a funny joke. Like that is literally where we began. And so to think that we somehow, you know, passed a voting rights bill in you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and said, great, now everybody has equal and fair representation and it's up to the states and I'm sure they'll do just fine. It, that's obviously not true. And so, so they basically state legislators pass state level um, legislation laws. Um, but, you know, as, as one of my favorite candidates in the state legislature in North Carolina, Christy Clark is her name. She says, um, you know, the, North Carolina is a testing ground for policy at the federal level. Republicans literally last year on September 11th said, we will not we will not be meeting today in the legislature because we need to honor the victims of 9-11. And as soon as everybody left, they literally waited in their cars and doubled back, went into the legislature and started passing legislation like crazy because they had the majority with no Democrats in sight. So the Democrats, of course, hear about this. They come back, they're screaming in the legislature, what are you doing, what are you doing? But they pass all of this legislation and they see if it's palatable in North Carolina. And if it is, and people don't complain too much, they just move it to DC and they pass it there. So it, it, will, it, will, come, it will come for you. 
you know, people who think they're immune, people who are like, oh, you know, why do I care about the legislation in North Carolina? Because it will soon be the legislation in D.C. So it matters. You are the second person to come on our show in the past week saying that it will come for you. Yes. <laughs> that is a theme because it's Good. truth. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, it's not, this is not affecting me. Wait. Do you yeah. make over a million dollars a year? Right. Then it will affect you. You know, right. it, it, and it doesn't, and, and right now it's, it's disproportionately affecting and sadly it, it likely will always disproportionately affect people who look different than me, but it will eventually come for you because we're consolidating wealth at the top. The, the middle class has had stagnant wages since the seventies while the rich get richer. Jeff Bezos made however many tens of million billions of dollars during the pandemic. Like it's. It's it it's around the corner. Okay, so this is this is my question for you. What would you like? Okay, let's say it this way. What are three of the biggest changes you would like to see happen in the voting process? Universal automatic voter registration. First of all, when you turn 18, you should be registered to vote. Yes. Period. Mm -hmm. Why? Why are we not making that easier for people, right? Exactly. Hello. Right. Um, Just like in your driver's license, they're so focused on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, you know, the, the, fact that, the fact that an NRA license <laughs> is an acceptable form of ID, but that a student ID from a public university that's funded by the government is not, is not an accident. They know students vote one way and that gun owners vote a different way. I mean, there, there are clips of Republican politicians saying, yeah, I think we're going to do better this year because we implemented voter ID. What is that? So, uh, so, so first of all, universal voter registration, automatic voter registration for everybody. Um, Nonpartisan committees that draw these legislative maps. Colorado has it. Um, Utah, or that's built by mail, but Colorado has it. Um, and, and I'm blanking on the other states that do these nonpartisan uh, map drawing. Arizona, uh, these, these nonpartisan map drawing. But if a party can control drawing the legislative maps, they draw them around at, through alleyways in certain buildings. The, the program that they used in 2010 to draw these maps is called Red Map. Like it's, it's not subtle. Like, you know, it's, so it's like that cannot exist. And, and on the Democratic side, there, there cannot be a party that's controlling the, the drawing of the maps. It's called gerrymandering because the maps look like salamanders because they're literally drawn like these crazy weird little things around buildings around affordable housing units cutting through alleys and saying okay y'all vote over here to pack you in so you only get one representative out of the 500 that we're sending and everybody else gets as many reps as they need right um and then universal vote by mail a ton of states already do it there's no reason that it doesn't exist now there's this conversation about how it's not uh, legitimate and that's there's zero evidence to support it like many things that this man says and uh, that should be available to everybody but again look at where it's not available to everybody because it's not California or New York it's not places with you know it's it's in places where they're making sure that it's as difficult as possible it's it's so scary though because I mean like right now I'm in I'm in Toronto I'm in Canada and I'm registered to vote in New Jersey and I have my mail-in ballot and I 
I fill it out and then I watch this debate that same day. And I have the, the scariest part of that debate for me was, I mean, there was a lot of scary parts, but the, the very end, I'm like, you are literally threatening our democracy. And Ryan and I have talked about this before, but it's like, you are making me feel, he actually had the ability like to make me think that this is a bad idea to send my vote in by mail. Like he scared me to do that. And that's not the way it should be. And people shouldn't be afraid to submit your vote by mail because voter, like, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. And you have I 30 cases of voter fraud and a billion ballots. Yes. I mean, and and the, 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 where is the line? Is it scary because he's saying that it's going to be fraudulent or is it scary because after the fact, he will challenge them and say that they're fraudulent. And this counter reality that we are living in on, on that side of the Well, it's aisle. both. Yeah, exactly, like exactly. It, it's exactly. both. And, and actually, it's interesting you say that because I almost couldn't define what was scary. I was, I literally stood up off the couch and was like, what are you doing? Like, I, not only do I not want to send this in, but if I do send this in and then it gets there and then it's after the fact and then it doesn't count and then you're going to stay in the White House and you're not going to leave and then there's exactly. this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, and that's not to even get into, I mean, it's, it's everywhere in different insidious creative ways. There, there is, okay. there is no, it is not an exaggeration to say that these are the remnants of Jim Crow. When we're looking at a place like Florida, where now, convicted felons who have served their time, returning citizens, 60% of the population there said, yes, they should be allowed to vote. They served their time. Why wouldn't they be allowed to vote? 60% of the population said that. And the courts that were appointed by the Republican state legislature said, mm, actually, we'll challenge that and they have to pay their fees. Is that different than a poll tax? No. And so, I mean, it's, it's, and now there's, now people are pouring in money to try to do that. But I mean, like, it is a, it is a constant fight. And, and, and when it the root of it, right, the root of these map drawing, the, the, the root of voting rights, the, the root of Kamala Harris being on the ticket, all of this is about representation. It's right. all about are you represented fairly, equitably by your government? Did you vote and was your voice heard? Was your community heard in electing these officials? And in many places, it, it is just not. As a woman, to see Kamala Harris as another woman up there representing women for starters, like that I see, I, you know, Ryan and I've talked about this as well. It's like, you see, you know, women in your own life up there, you know, your aunts, your, your mother, your grandmother, you see them in her and you're like, I can get behind this because it's a voice that that you recognize, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm in a same sex marriage. If I see uh, a, a woman that is also in a same sex marriage that's running, I see she un just understands where I come from. So I want that level of representation, you know, and we have to really look at the government, the administration that we're looking to bring in. Are they representing everybody? that they should be? Are they accurately reflecting the world that we live in? That's and, and, and that's the struggle because Trump has made it so that he represents fringe white supremacist groups. That's not an exaggeration. That is, that is who he represents. Whether you hold your nose and vote for him or not, that is what he represents. 
And so now you have Biden and Kamala Harris running on the same ticket. And so, of course, there are people who are saying, oh, this isn't enough or, or I wanted this or where's Elizabeth Warren? Where's Bernie? Where's the where's the populist uprising of, you know, and, and so I but it, I, and I understand that, of course, like but 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 what I think we're getting at, right, is that how can you possibly as two individuals represent an entire you know, and it's one thing if it's if it's down the middle and there's Republicans and Democrats on, but but this line has been pushed so far because Trump has alienated so many people okay. that now now you have moderate coal miners in West Virginia who are looking to Joe Biden and saying that man represents me, fracking people who are fracking for a living in Pennsylvania who are like, oh that that is my president Joe Biden, and okay. then people like y'all who are saying, wow like that Kamala Harris is this liberal senator from California that represents me. But I mean, how many people are in the middle of those things who are not included? How many people who are on the fringe of either side of that who are not included? And that's why state legislative races to me are so fascinating because those people actually represent their constituents. They only represent a few thousand people. Some of these people have met every single person in their district. There's a woman, Brianna Titone, the first trans state legislator to be elected in Colorado, only the fourth nationwide. And she has met every single constituent and they have 85% turnout there, which Colorado, like, wow. 85% yeah. turnout means you're not convincing, it's not a numbers game where you're convincing people to turn out. You are convincing people to vote for you. Right. You, are, you are saying, okay, this is what I represent. Do I represent you? And that is what we should be looking to because she's a trans woman. Of course, she doesn't represent in that way the large swath of people who are voting her with 85% turnout, but she's talking about the issues. She's talking about the things saying, okay, what is actually important to you? And she is representative of those concerns. And so that's, that's really what we're talking about, right? At every level, people, people need to be fairly represented by their leaders who they elect. Hello. Like in this beautiful world, like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are like there November 4th. But my question is what happens on November 4th when it stops being about the election and people go back to their daily lives and there stops being discussions about things like voter suppression and um, police brutality and systemic racism and poverty and homelessness. like. How do we as a community continue to push the discussion forward, even if the representatives in the office decide that they forgot? Yeah, um, that's, the, that's the key, right? Um, you know, in many ways, I have to believe, because it's the only way that I can just continue to wake up in the morning, that the cat's out of the bag. Mm -hmm. the, the, we, we are we are now in this information overload universe and donald trump uh i wish him the worst but he has he has said the quiet part out loud he he has allowed us now to look back at other republican administrations and say yikes ronald reagan was kind of saying the same shit like we we were we you know we thought ronald reagan was this like sexy movie star president right. and we were like wow like he's everything 
And then you're you're like, whoa, actually, some of this rhetoric is the same shit. George H.W. Bush with the Willie Horton ad that basically won him the election, which is just race baiting at its finest. And you're like, wow, I think this was, has just been going on all the... And Democrats are not immune. The crime bill is passed under Bill Clinton, and that is not a progressive policy. You know, so so... I think now we are looking back and saying, wow, actually, we need to be constantly vigilant. And the other thing is that Donald Trump has has now politics are now not what I think they used to be, where they were actually about politics. We're talking about things like basic human dignity being a political issue. We're talking about believing that the coronavirus is real as a political issue. We're talking about the existence of systemic racism as a political issue. When Mike, when Mike Pence said on the debate stage that implicit bias is not real and that fucking fly landed on his fucking face a beat after, that is not an accident. Like, thank you God. Like, because that is literally the world saying, whoa, 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 check this, check this, because this is obviously a load of shit. And so, I, it, you know, it's, I think now we don't, Donald Trump has not given, we, we no longer have the privilege to not think about these things. And we no longer have the privilege not to link them to the to our elected officials. And so now with all this conversation, I mean, what will happen on November 4th, I think, is that many people will say, ah, we elected Joe Biden, which I do think will happen. And I also think that there will be people who say, I did not want this man in the White House mm-hmm. and I voted for him. And I, did, and I do not want this man here. And it is because he doesn't feel this way about all of these issues. And so the work will continue. The mobilizing will continue. And I think many people will jump ship. Many people will think, whoo, I did enough. And the election was stressful. And now I need to go to the Finger Lakes and live my life <laughs> and be up there with my friends and write a book. And good for y'all. You know, yeah. you you were the people who just posted a black square anyway and just kind of like did your thing. So good for y'all. Like we I honestly we can't change everybody, but a lot of people are in this now. And as somebody who always felt like they were in it, I mean, I'm a I'm a son of educators. I'm from California. I mean, I I understand that we are always fighting for for human rights. Um and I'm in the theater community that's one of the most inclusive in the world. I think we're all in a different spot now. White people, especially, I will say. Because, of course, this is something that people of color have understood for a lot longer. And I think that even the white people who understood it didn't understand that this active effort, this sort of trend of being anti-racist now, that this active effort is something that must continue every single day. And the stakes are just too high. That's like the other thing that I always think of. I'm like, is Joe Biden being elected going to solve like the rising sea levels? Like, no, you know, it's like it, we need to continue to do these things. He he is saying outright a lot of shit that we're like, you know, I mean, he's the first person. I will not defund the police. You're just like, OK, like you're not Donald Trump, but like you are saying that like you're not like, well, like beating around the issue. So, I mean, I think we're I think I think it'll be obvious. And I think the, the big first two legislative priorities must be a huge voting rights overhaul for everybody to give to give voting rights to literally everyone with a pulse and a coronavirus relief package that we are somehow sidestepping to confirm this fucking woman who's gonna like 
not overturn Roe v. Wade, but basically like shit on it until it's gone. Like it's just like, you know, it's it's too obvious. That's what I mean about saying the quiet part out loud. It's just like it's too obvious now. When we're seeing people dying in the streets and, and people still collecting unemployment and all the and funds running out, and Mitch McConnell's like, ah, the priority is this Supreme Court justice. It's like you y'all don't care. Y'all do not care about us. Yeah. So. I definitely think it's an interesting time, though, because I feel like so much so much has been brought um, to light through, I mean, through not only this upcoming election, our current president, COVID, everything that has been happening, especially over the past year. But I've definitely really been excited to see these, the younger generation, like the Gen Zers. I, I'm really feeling like they have this real sense of this is my future. This is my art. The, this is like, the, I am here and I'm not going to disappear after this election because I like don't want, you know, the future to have all these issues. I want it to be a better world that we live in. And I'm hoping that they don't drop the ball and then nobody drops the ball. And I'm sure people, some people will like kind of go to the Finger Lakes, like you say. Um, but it, I do think we have a lot of, I'm, I'm hopeful for the Gen Zers, especially and the younger kids, because I think they're really seeing, seeing what's happening with a clean, clear lens. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it remains to be seen. I think, I think that's, that's kind of the scary part, right? It is, it really does remain, remain to be seen. There, there's, I've talked to people who are, you know, I try to always take kind of the more uh, positive outlook. And lately I've been trying to sort of imbue that with enough cynicism to allow people to respond as they really feel. And I've had people kind of like come from you with some positivity saying like, dude, this is not a random moment. Like what you're saying, like this is not something where people are outraged for a while and whatever. I mean, like, and, and this is not over. Like that's the thing, the, the 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 sort of fallout from the coronavirus. This is not even close to over, and I'm talking as the person who will be back to work last, and it is not even close to over. Like we we will be dealing with the economic fallout for this and seeing how it disproportionately affects people. I mean, we're we're in for a couple years minimum of rebuilding from this that will keep the spotlight on the selfishness that brought us here, you know? Yeah. And and so, and, and, and the reminder, I think the most important reminder is we'll always be, we, we will all be, we will all need to do this. We will all need to be the people who say, Donald Trump was not the disease, he was the symptom of something that has been going on for much longer. This is not a one-off. This is not a man who stole an election and said, how did he even steal the election? because of suppressive efforts in these states that he won by a couple thousand votes mm -hmm. because of having a lock on the south because black people who live there have been disenfranchised from when they were given their right to vote in the first place so i mean this is this is something that exists in our country's bones you know you don't you don't become the richest country in the world on the backs of free labor and don't pay for it so there there people talk about a reckoning now it's not over we will can we are going to continue this reckoning and i will make sure of it and we all will power to the people yeah baby 
Um, I'm curious for our listeners where we can find out more information um, about the organization that you're you're working on um, with Swing From Home. Um, can we follow you guys on Instagram? Where can we yeah. find all information? Absolutely, yeah. So check out the Instagram, Swing From Home on Instagram. Uh, there's a link tree in there that's all the list of opportunities, and we're constantly kind of throwing this stuff up for our candidates. But um, there's also a website, of course, swingfromhome.com. And uh, I do want to say, you know, in these last couple of weeks, um, go onto the website, go to a state that you've been to, that you drove through, that you loved, whatever, adopt a candidate. These races were decided by less than 100 votes. There's a race in Iowa that was decided by nine. This is, this is not like, oh, do I want a phone bank for Joe Biden? One donation, one night of phone banking where you make a couple hundred calls. With a friend, you can make a thousand calls in a night. It's easy, these auto dialers, that can swing the whole race. There's a race in Virginia, in the state legislative races in Virginia. They have, they have their elections on odd years. 2017, they had an election and their entire chamber, their general assembly came down to one race that would tip it either way. That race was a tie. And they literally put two film canisters with slips of paper with the names of the candidates on it into a bowl and drew it like a fucking carnival. And they took it out and it was a Republican and they said, great, you have the seat. The, the state legislature is controlled by Republicans. Two years later, there's this huge blue wave in 2019. They take that legislature and they pass the first comprehensive gun reform there in the, in the state's history. They pass a ton of uh, voting rights legislation that allows people to vote. I mean, like it, it's, it's not a Herculean feat. So go, go, you know, I went to college in Michigan. I, I just like go through the Michigan candidates and I'm like, I just drop in on the phone banks. I'm like, not even as a part of my organization, I'm just like a, a person. And I'm just like, all right, like, let me figure out the training. And all you're doing is you're calling these people. And I will say, people don't wanna talk about Trump or Joe Biden. Obviously, they suck. People wanna talk about this shit that's important to them. So yeah. they wanna talk about like, this specific issue. And when you're calling, you're saying, hey, you know, I'm actually not from this area. What is important to you? And you get people talking. They're like, you know, like this random thing that you know nothing about. And you have a computer, you're like, hey, I don't really know a lot about that. I'm about to look that up. Yeah, you know what? It looks like this candidate that we're calling on behalf of is actually on the same side of the issue, you know? And a lot of these people, you can say literally, let us know that they'll call you back. The candidate will call you back personally. And they will, because they know everyone. So. It's, wow. it's, it's a personal thing. It's very, it's, it's very cool. And you can make a meaningful change. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on. This means a lot. You know, we really enjoyed talking to you and I love what you're doing with swing from home. It's, it's great. And just, yeah, everybody get out there, you know, go local, find your, go wake up on the fourth and wish you would have done more. Exactly. Who you're going to be mad at yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, some real talk in this. I appreciate it. <laughs>